You're listening to the Ableton and Music Habits Podcast, Episode 11. Welcome to the Ableton and Music Habits Podcast, actionable music production tips to take your music to the next level. And now, your host, Jason Timothy. So I wanted to um, talk a little bit about, well, it might be a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it somewhat reasonably short or reason, reasonable length. But I wanted to talk a bit about writer's block and kind of my journey through that, why and how it happened. And maybe you guys can relate to it. Maybe it can help you guys out. And that that's really my goal here. So I think I should probably start. It's, it's weird. I've got a long story, you know, in, in the my process of, you know, becoming a music producer and that sort of thing. But we could start in, in the early 2000s. And that's when I, I got together with a partner and we started working on a project that we called Interstate. And we had, our sessions were kind of sporadic. You know, we would work on ideas and like most people, we would have, you know, tons of, you know, basic ideas on, on our, um, on our hard drives and stuff like that, just unfinished loops and things like that. So just like most people that are getting started, we weren't necessarily finishing songs, but we were really motivated and we really wanted to push forward. So we did end up making about, I think we made about four songs in about a one and a half year period. All right. So not super prolific as far as, you know, our output or anything, but we were, we were still learning. And at the time, you know, there wasn't really much out there to give us any hints on how to approach doing this. Now at the time I was also using Fruity Loops, uh, an early version of that, uh, which is, I, I find it to be a great program. I just was never really happy with the arrangement window. So uh, what I would do is I would build my songs in Fruity Loops. And then uh, this was before I was using Ableton. I would bring it into a program called Acid. And that's where I would do my arrangements, stuff like that. So I was using a combination of those. So we were we were writing tunes that we thought were pretty cool. I think we were really heavily influenced at the time by um, the DJ sets that we'd seen from John Digweed and other progressive artists and stuff like that. But I think going and seeing him play for eight hours or something like that was a real inspiration for us. And it really changed us from being into our Paul Oakenfolds and Paul Van Dyke and, um, you know, a little bit more of the commercial sounding to uh, a more underground sound. I know you guys are probably already asking, how does, how does this uh, relate to writer's block? So I'll, I'll try to get to that. So basically we, we wrote like one of our songs took about a year and a half to finish while another one of our songs we finished in about a week. Both songs got popular, so I, I, it kind of goes against what I tell people, you know, about trying to finish songs quickly. And I still believe that. The thing that happened is that uh, the song that took a year and a half went through many different evolutions. So it, it was almost stripped down and turned into something new and stripped down again and turned something new. And we were pulling in new influences each time. So it kind of um, ended up being an interesting juxtaposition of our past influences and and our current at the time influences. And also, it gave enough time for some happy accidents to happen that uh, made the track pretty unique. However, I do believe that you can uh, create these happy accidents pretty quickly, you know, but we were uh, a little wet behind the ears. And even though I'd been involved in music for a while, I was coming from the background of being in bands and stuff like that, playing guitar and just kind of learning how electronic music worked. So we tried to get these songs out to to several DJs that we liked, and um, we weren't really catching that much traction because it, we didn't really know anyone. And to be honest, a lot of people just wouldn't listen to 
our tracks. We'd ha- you know go to go to shows and give the DJs CDs, and they weren't listening to them. And eventually, though, we uh, we were giving them giving CDs to some smaller DJs that were kind of coming up, and they would take the the time to at least listen. And so they started really supporting some of the songs that we were doing. And what would happen is they would play with bigger DJs and the bigger DJs would say, Hey, what's that? And, you know, they would say, well, apparently you probably have six of these CDs at home that you haven't listened to, which is true because we would keep on handing uh, CDs to uh, the DJs that we wanted to listen. But finally it started getting some listen. We went to the winter music conference. This was probably like 2002 or something like that, 2003. And we only had like 10 CDs that were handwritten. I know a lot of people would print up professional CDs, like a thousand of them, and give them all out trying to promote themselves. We only burned 10 and had our personal handwriting on them. And we were very kind of uh, strategic about who we handed them to. And we gave it uh, one of the CDs to a representative, Alan and Heath, who still a really great guy. And we didn't hear anything back from that for a little while, but some of the people that we did hand the CDs to did get back to us after we got back from a uh, winter music conference and, you know, said, Oh, these tracks are really great. These are some of my favorite tracks that I've gotten. And we were really, really humbled and excited about that. And then we got an email from uh, the guy at Allen and Heath. And he said that a really uh, big artist was, was giving us really big plays. And that uh, ended up being the start of our relationship with a DJ named Hernan Cachaneo, who's, Really huge here in the States now, but he's also even bigger. It's kind of a, like a god in uh, South America. He lives in uh, Argentina. And on top of that, he's a super nice guy. So he was talking us up in magazines and, um, you know, in his interviews and things and said that, you know, one of our tracks was his biggest track for like nine months straight. And this was, I guess this was kind of not long after Paul Oakenfold kind of took him under his wing and, and kind of um, helped promote him and helped get him uh, more gigs and things like that. So some of these tracks ended up becoming classics. Uh, we have a remix of one of our tracks that ended up on his Master Series uh, compilation. So from there, him playing it, you know, he, he was doing shows with John Digweed, and then John Digweed said, I've got to have a copy of that. And pretty soon, like, everyone was getting copies of this track, and it kind of uh, went viral in, in the progressive house DJ community. So... So, you know, we were just starting to become a little bit, I guess, VIP uh, at the time. And it was still weird and strange and, uh, and exhilarating that things were moving really quickly. And then the problem started hitting. Because what had happened was, you know, we had gotten so much attention on these songs that we were kind of... We knew that we didn't know everything that, you know, a lot of people knew about music production. We just kind of... Um, you know, put tracks together and, and hope for the best, really. So we can't say that the songs were like super well produced or whatever. So it started making us a little nervous because, you know, DJs were starting to ask us for more material. And quite frankly, I think we just kind of scared ourselves a little bit. You know, we, it's kind of weird when you're being invited to parties and, you know, being treated a certain way and the, the people that you hold in really high regard are, are saying really positive things about uh, your creative output, you know, about the songs that, that you make. And you don't want to hand out a new song that's just garbage and ruin your reputation. So it was kind of like we got to the point of almost resting on our laurels a little bit. And we were afraid to put something else out because we were afraid to change the dynamic of our relationships with, you know, these new relationships that we built through our music. So we started getting way more analytical about our songs. Obviously, music was starting to go in a slightly different direction from progressive to 
early tech house, which is much different than what's considered tech house now. But, you know, so we, we were kind of changing or trying to change with the times. And I guess the, the problem was we were trying to fit in instead of doing our thing. I mean, obviously, we were always borrowing ideas, even, you know, with the last songs we made. I mean, that's that's kind of what you do is you figure out what some of your favorite music is and you you try to make something your own using these influences, which is what we did. And we were using a lot of samples at the time. So we kind of felt like, you know, well, maybe we're cheating or something like that. Maybe we need to get better with our uh, our sound design skills or whatever. So it just really uh, caused us to, to have long runs of, of not being very creative. And when we were creative, we were overanalyzed and everything, and we'd end up setting things aside. And I know that this is really common for a lot of people, you know, setting um, songs aside, thinking, oh, I'll get back to it later. I'm not going to finish it because I'm no longer inspired by it, or I don't know what to do, or I don't feel very confident about this particular thing that I'm working on. So all of this stuff just fueled the need for us to feel like we needed to learn more technical stuff. We had transitioned into um, starting to use Ableton as well, so we were learning a new DAW. And what really ended up happening is it seemed like we were writing for our audience, the audience that we had now, instead of writing for ourselves. So I, I think that even though we thought we were really passionate about uh, some of the stuff we were making, I think we were more passionate about the reaction that we were hoping to get from a certain audience. So we weren't really being true to ourselves anymore. And it just uh, gave us a real, even when we tried to get back to our own sound, we came back with a, a real lack of confidence in, in, in our sound and our own ideas. And we were second guessing everything. So, so we would work on a few songs and unfinished stuff. And I started working on some of my own songs eventually, but uh, that was another thing is I didn't really have personal confidence. I had confidence within the, the dynamic of the group of, of the partnership. Um, and that was starting to dissolve. And I wasn't sure if I really had it in me to, to make tracks that were as good as some of these things that I did in a partnership. And my partner was trying to do stuff on his own as well. So, and I think that he felt like he had something to prove because he came into this partnership with a lot less technical know-how. And I, I kind of knew more of the technical stuff, even though I didn't know everything. So I think he felt that he needed to prove himself. And in doing that, it kind of split us apart a little bit. And yeah, so we were just, uh, you know, on top of that, we were, we were trying to build a reputation. Uh, we wanted to know who was responsible for for us being successful, like which one of us like was the, you know, the real force behind the partnership. And by doing that, it, it just, we, we started battling more than working together. And, you know, that ended up, the, the partnership dissolved. And then I was kind of on my own, you know, trying to uh, figure this stuff out and trying to write my own music. And that led to me making more music that um, I look back on as really not being my style. I was really trying to fit in. I was really trying to like, you know, I was wanting to get signed. I was wanting to like, um, I was just seeing other successful people and I was envying that. So I was, you know, thinking to myself, well, I suppose I can make that kind of music or whatever. And that never really felt right. And I, you know, I, I made, I, I wouldn't say I made tracks that I absolutely hated, but it just wasn't really me. And it, that was because I wasn't really confident in being myself. So that, that made writer's block more prominent. And this went on for a good uh, 10 years. So that, that's kind of the story of, you know, of having like some early success, you know, I, I guess you would call it some sort of beginner's luck or something like that. Or maybe we, we had something and we just lost confidence in, in that. That, that's probably true as well. But yeah, so I, probably the next about eight years was really not much output for me. It was like I was just trying to make something that sounded decent and 
we 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 did some stuff that that I thought was was cool. It didn't end up getting signed or anything like that, but um, but then it fizzled out again. It was just one of those things. So I didn't really dive back in and really turn into the artist that I am today. Probably until I moved out of California and moved to uh, to Denver, because I guess I was able to reinvent myself a little bit. Okay, I just wanted to take a quick intermission here to tell you about the Ableton Transformation Station. How would you like to be part of a private group of producers transforming their music, marketing, and mindset with monthly deep dives into what is really working right now? To learn more about this, just go to musicsoftwaretraining.com forward slash transform. Now back to the program. It's not that you have to move away to do this, but it was an easy way for me to kind of clear the slate and start with something new. And I had new inspirations and I was teaming up and, and started DJing uh, here at uh, Beta Nightclub and learning more about this new sound that I was actually much more into. But my way of writing wasn't quite there. I didn't quite understand how it worked. So it started with me knowing the technical aspect of things but not really knowing the sound. So it was really good to partner with some people that I could trust to give proper feedback. And that was kind of the first step of me trying to get back into this, but I still was, it was still kind of sporadic. You know what I mean? And at some point I decided, I think it was November. Yeah. It, it was in a note. It was November, like November 3rd or something like that. I, I think I remember the date uh, several years back that I decided that I was going to devote the whole year to writing music and figuring out who I was an, as an artist and figuring out a process that I could repeat and use. I didn't really think of it that way at the time. The, the main goal was that I would sit down for an hour every day. And I think I made it about, about 30, 35 days straight before missing a day. I think over the following year, I might've missed about 30 days, but overall, I was writing music every day and I was not only writing music every day, but I was taking one song at a time to completion, regardless of whether I liked the track or not. By the time I, I was finishing, I wouldn't start anything new. If I got a new idea that just came to me, I would just make a, like a little skeleton of, of the idea, you know, really quickly save it and then get back to the song that I was working on. That way I wouldn't lose ideas that came to me, but I wasn't starting something completely new. I was just getting the idea out there so that I can come back to it after I finished the song that I was working on. And this was, um, it was an interesting pro process, but the one thing that, that really helped was that I was building on successes that I'd had from the day before and the day before and the day before. So it's like I was getting 1% better every day. And you don't really notice as you're doing that, but you're retraining your brain that for one, uh, I create every day. That's just something that I do. You know, it's, it's not something that you have to force yourself to do. I mean, in the first few weeks, you kind of got to force yourself to do it. And then it becomes where the brain just is, is like, are we doing this? Let's, let's go for it. And it, it becomes a lot easier. So that part was, was really important is just consistency. But, uh, well, I'll just kind of get through. So in that year, well, a 13 month period, I ended up finishing 52 songs and some of them were remixes and bootlegs that I couldn't release, but I would, you know, play them out and share them with friends and stuff like that. But most of the tracks were originals and, um, all of those tracks at this point, uh, have been signed. So I think most of them were signed in the first like year, year and a half, two years. And I was continuing to write songs after that. 
honestly a little bit on a slower pace because I really went hard with this this one uh, year. But I was still finishing quite a few songs. So I had finished all the all these songs, and I, I was able to step back at the end of, the, of that year and really take a look at you know what I had done. And I was thinking about it, and I wanted to share this process, share how I approached this, how I, I went from maybe making three or four songs that were okay to like really getting to higher quality music and making the, the songs uh, much more quick, quickly. And it took me about a year to really break down the full process because the thing is, I didn't want to share it in a way where I was showing people how to make my style of music. I wanted to sh share the process in a way where, now obviously it's a process for making electronic music, or at least it works best for that. But I wanted to create a process that anyone that's making electronic music could use this process to better their own unique style, right? And it ended up being really successful. It ended up helping people in all kinds of genres of music. So it kind of proved itself. Uh, and it became a 19-step process is really what it came down to. And there's a lot of preparation, a mental preparation as well, that uh, an organi organization that you need to kind of put yourself through in order to be completely mentally prepared to start sitting down and, and writing music. So, you know, the beginning of the process is not really sitting down at the dot. The beginning of the process is a lot more organization and mindset, which sets the tone for everything else that you do. So it's super important. So since I created this, you know, I've launched it and it's a course that I call the Creating EP in 30 Days Master Course. I've had hundreds of students um, have loads of success. I've got amazing testimonials and it's just it just works it works for anyone that dedicates themselves so that's that was kind of my my whole process of getting through my writer's block and it really came to having to dedicate myself and sitting down to make music when it didn't feel right and sitting down to make music when I wasn't necessarily inspired and knowing that the inspiration comes from sitting down and and actually putting in the work instead of waiting for the inspiration to come to you. And that's what so many people do. They get inspired to make an idea, they get an eight bar loop and they're no longer inspired and then they throw it off and wait for another inspiration. And that just builds the habit of not finishing songs instead of finishing tunes. So I hope that just this little talk here inspires you and you know also makes you feel like you're not alone in, in this process. I've been where you're at and I know exactly how difficult uh, this process can be, especially when you feel creatively stuck. And the only way to get unstuck is to really sit down, even when your brain's telling you that there's something not right about sitting down and making music, because that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Your brain is trying to reserve as much energy as possible for the things it does regularly. So until you're making music regularly, your brain's not really going to help you so much. So you're going to probably have less energy for making music in the beginning, but that's going to start opening up as you move forward. And you'll, you'll definitely see that sort of thing happen. So that's, that's all I, I had to say today. I just uh, wanted to share some of my experience and I, hopefully it helps push you forward when you're feeling like you're struggling and feeling like this music making thing is a real challenge, feeling like maybe you're not cut out for it. You're fine just the way you are. You just need to sit down and do it. You know, don't let anyone tell you you need to know more. It might be possible that you do need to know more, but with what you got right now, you can sit down and create something and that's what you should be doing. And as you do that, you develop your own unique style. And then from there, it makes a lot of sense to maybe find a mentor that can help you bring your style further, you know, and better the quality of that. All right, guys, with that, hope you have a fantastic day and I'll speak with you guys real soon. So there you have it, guys. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, please subscribe to the podcast and show this with your fellow music producers. You can also follow me on Instagram by searching Ableton Music Habits or Ableton under slash music under slash habits, where I post short music production quotes to keep you in the game. If you'd like to connect with me more directly, you can uh, fill out a quick form at musicsoftwaretraining.com forward slash application. Take care and see you guys next time.